Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Good evening, friends. Go ahead and have a seat. So good to be with you tonight. For those of you who are hoping for a snow day tomorrow, I don't think, I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, the, uh, it's funny when the snow started coming down today, I really hope that you got to see it cause it was crazy and bizarre and beautiful. But my Nora, my nine year old, we were together in our kitchen. It started coming down. We went outside and I was like, this is, I'm not even sure in my lifetime, if I can remember it snowing this early in the year. And she was like, dad, I mean, like two years ago, it snowed in July. So like, if you wonder what it's like to have kids, it's like that, where it's like a fact checker that doesn't have all the facts, just following you around all the time, correcting you. That's what it's like. Um, if you are new to us here, so glad you're here. Just to, to restate, I think Phil already said it tonight, but here's what our priority is. All of us come to this space. Uh, I mean, it's good to see each other. It's good to be with each other. It's good to sing. But we, we come to come in contact with the living God of the universe. And so whether this is completely new to you and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what this is all about. I'm glad you're here, if that's you. I really am. We're not going to dumb this down for you, okay? You're not going to get the light version of what we're doing here tonight. If you've been following Jesus your whole life, I hope, again, same thing for you, that we come into contact with the God of the universe. We do not believe that this is a cold document. We believe that this thing is alive, that, that truly God is alive through this, and he has something he wants to meet you in that space tonight. And so that's the expectation that I come with is, is I prepare that God does stuff in me and changes me, and that I, he breaks off rough corners in me as I'm prepping for tonight. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit, because tonight's a change of pace. God did some stuff in the past week where what I thought, where I thought we were headed tonight is not where we're headed tonight. God's like, no, Ben, I think we have a different plan. Because as I prepare, part of what I pray is, hey, God, I believe it's not just the text. It's like I believe that you have a purpose for this specific group in this specific room on this specific night. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you, would you lead? And again, throughout the past week, as I began to look at the text, I, feel like, I felt like God was like, no, we're going a different direction. It's the same text, but then we're moving a different direction. It was like, all right, God, I hear you. So I also want to give you permission before I pray and launch us into our te- text tonight. This is just tends to be a hard time of year for people who are new to campus. And maybe not you if you are in the room right now, but I've just noticed through years of doing campus ministry, midterms are a time when we have a lot of students on this campus who have not connected with people, who have not made friends, who are sitting in their room alone on weekends, who, who are going home to their parents and be like, I might not finish the semester. This is the time of year when that happens. And I'm asking you to be aware of people who are in those spaces. Ask God to give you an awareness of people who need an invitation, who need a smile, who need an invitation into your small group, just into your life, right? There's people around you who need that, who are feeling isolated and alone. Have eyes for them right now. Let me pray. Launch us in. Heavenly Father, um, I don't have to ask for you to be present. You are here. You're here with your people. You are. Um, But I pray you would be uniquely present as we open your word, as we ask for your guidance. Um, Spirit, I pray that you'd teach. Uh, I pray that they wouldn't be my words, but yours. And we pray all this in your name and through your sacrifice, Christ. Amen. All right. Well, tonight, the text that we're going to be in, we've been studying all these different miracles of Jesus. And tonight, 
there's a miracle within a miracle, miracle sandwich in the text that we're in, okay? And that's what I meant when I said I, I changed things a little bit because I intended to preach the loud miracle. But I want you to pay attention because there's a loud miracle and a quiet miracle in the passage that we're in. And two weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about the centurion, who's this Roman leader. He was non-Jewish, so he was sort of on the outside of all of this faith stuff that we see in the New Testament. But he came to Jesus asking for a miracle. Tonight, the guy that we're going to see is actually the ruler of a synagogue. His name is Jairus. And, And so in the same way, he has a lot of authority, like that centurion did that we talked about, but in a very different way, he's a respected religious leader. And so in all these different towns that they would have, there would be one synagogue, like one big church for the Jewish people to practice at, and the rabbis would teach and stuff there. So, and he is that guy, right? So oftentimes it takes me a while to get to the text. Tonight we are diving right in. Here it is. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay, let me pause there. That's the Bible's way of saying that she had some sort of blood disease, like a hemorrhaging disease. She, basically, she had a period that hadn't stopped for 12 years. That's what's happening here. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Am I still on the right thing? Yes. When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds around you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. So if you're following the story, while this has happened, I mean, Jairus was, was, they were on the way to Jairus's house to find healing for his dying daughter. And in the middle of that, there's this interruption with the crowd. And then someone comes and says, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear Only believe and she'll be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, don't weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So you see these two miracles. One that we have at the beginning and the end is the story of Jairus. It's a story of resurrection. Man, you guys, I love to preach resurrection. I try to get to the theme of resurrection at least once a year because it's a hinge point of our faith. It's unbelievably important that Christ was resurrected and we follow in that resurrection. And that's what we see in Jairus' daughter. If I could like use that one miracle as a review for all the past weeks, because in the past weeks we've been talking about that God 
has power over the natural world and that he has authority and that we can trust him. Like all of those things are represented in Jairus' miracle. His daughter raised from the dead, you guys. And if it's true that Jesus has power over the natural world, that means he has power over the spiritual world. So all this other stuff that he said he could do, that he could forgive sins and could give you peace and hope, that you could live with him for eternity, that there's more in your life than just classes and work and family. That's like on repeat, on a treadmill. Jesus is like, no, it's bigger than that. You have purpose and meaning. And so the idea of preaching resurrection, which is why I was excited to preach about resurrection tonight, is because if that's true, then all the other stuff that comes with it is true. Resurrection power that sits at the core of our faith. So much so that the Apostle Paul would say that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, I quoted this weeks and weeks ago, Paul said, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then my preaching is useless and so is your faith. Resurrection is kind of a big deal. But God kept drawing me back to the quiet miracle. The quieter miracle in the story. Draw your attention to the quiet woman who is bleeding. She doesn't demand attention. As a matter of fact, she's trying to avoid it. Did you notice in this? (laughs) She's trying to avoid attention. Did you see the language in the text three different times in verses 42 and 45 that are in there? It talks about the crowd pressing around. And the words that are used in the text are actually pretty oppressive. They mean like choked and drowning. I mean, have you guys ever been in in a mob that uh, one, of, one of the Greek words actually means redirected. Like you can't, you're constantly being bumped back and forth. You can't walk a straight line. It's that idea, that, that kind of a crowd. That gives me social anxiety, you guys, all right? I, you can put me in a cave where I have to tight, crawl through a tight hole. I'm good with that. But you put like 19 in an elevator and I have to get into that? Huh, I, don't, I don't like that. Okay, this is the crowd that Jesus is around because he is saying they're all waiting for it. Jairus has come and said, my daughter is dying. And Jesus says, well, I'll go to your house. And the, and the whole crowd's like, oh, <laughs> come on, let's all go. What's he going to do? And so they're pressing around him. And this woman, in the midst of all of that, all she's trying to do is touch the tassel. Because the Jewish rabbis had these like scarves with little tassels. They still do to this day. They call it tzitzit. That's the name of the Jewish name for these little tassels. So she reached out just to touch that. And that was all that it took. And she disappeared back into the crowd. Anonymous. Not anonymous. Because Jesus stops. You heard it in the story, right? Who touched me? And of course, Peter's like, oh, come on, Jesus. Everybody touched you. He says this out loud. Everybody else was thinking it, but Peter speaks it out loud. Come on, Jesus. they're, They're pressing in around you. Everybody touched you. And he says, no, I perceive I perceived that power left me, that someone was healed by me. And Jesus knew exactly what had happened. (laughs) Like, this wasn't a mystery to him, but he wanted her to come forward. She wanted to be invisible. I need you to understand something else about this woman. I think it comes out of Leviticus 15. Let me double check that. Yes, Leviticus 15, 25 and verse 27, those two verses. See, in the Old Testament law, there were all kinds of instructions for you. And some of these were hygiene, and some of these were religious, and some of these were civic. But, I mean, God gave all these different Old Testament laws. And those still stand when Jesus is walking around on the planet right now. People are still practicing those. They have been for centuries. The Jews have done their thing for a very long time, okay? Her specific problem that she had, this bleeding issue, is specifically talked about in Leviticus 15.25, and that she is unclean 
in that way. In other words, that uh, because they don't have all the different understanding of hygiene, God gave them, under, gave them some help in knowing how they should handle certain things and what they should do with them and when to see a doctor and when to see a priest. And for 12 years, you guys, she has been considered unclean. It means that she's not supposed to be around other people. She's not supposed to be in gatherings like this. It's not, I mean, she, she is basically given the same designation as a leper, and two verses later, Leviticus fifteen twenty seven, anyone who comes into contact with her, anyone who makes physical contact with her is also unclean. And so she breaches that by reaching out to touch Jesus. She risks making him unclean by Jewish law. Isn't that ironic? Process that for a moment, that this act of reaching out and touching the one who can heal her, the one who can clean her, the one who can make her pure, was the unclean act by the law. And that's exactly what she does. She reaches out and she touches that tassel. Think of all the social isolation. So again, as I approached this text, and I was like, healing, resurrection. Let's, I mean, like, let's talk about that. Let's, let me preach how God can bring healing into your life. Let me talk about how God can bring resurrection into your life. And you guys, that's absolutely true. But what about the 12 years that came before that? What about the 12, process that. What about the 12 years in this woman's life that came before that? Suffering, suffering. There's this beautiful verse, Philippians 3.10. And I put it on the screen the exact way that we like to read it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. It's like when you're listening to a radio ad and they got all the little stuff at the end they want to say. You know, it's like, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. It's like, that's the way that you race through the end of that. that. This isn't the way the verse reads. It is, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Yes. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, you guys, resurrection and suffering, I hate to tell it to you tonight, are connected to each other. We want to preach one because it's glorious. But do not ignore this woman's 12 years of suffering or you ignore part of her story and the power of God to work in it. Maybe we need a better theology of suffering. Maybe we don't think about that enough. Maybe we don't talk about it enough. Maybe we like to jump straight to the healing and the resurrection. Maybe you've heard that preached too much. Maybe you need to ask yourself tonight, what does it mean that even when healing is coming, there may be a period of suffering that precedes it? What does the Bible have to say about suffering? If I walk through a season like that, if someone else is walking through a season like that, some Christians, you guys, teach that, that, that we aren't supposed to suffer in this world. Some Christians teach that Christians do not suffer, that they don't get sick, like that God wants you healthy and that God wants you wealthy and that God wants you prosperous. So it's like we become Christians and suddenly we got... It's like the expectation is if we're really faithful Christians, then we have gold rings on our fingers and expensive food in our bellies, okay? And I know it sounds silly to say it like that, but it really is what some Christians teach and believe. 
And I'm here to tell you tonight, those Christians are wrong. (laughs) That is not a biblical teaching. And I'll show you tonight. Perhaps we need a better theology of suffering. What does it mean to suffer? Don't get me wrong. I don't believe that God's expectation and his purpose in this world is to force you to suffer. But how does God work in our pain? How does God work in our story and our suffering? Well, first of all, you have to know that God's taken care of your largest need, right? Our need for forgiveness, our need to be saved eternally, our spiritual need for healing. You guys, he's taken care of that. We were stuck on the side of a cliff and he threw us a rope and said, grab on, I got you. All his power, all his doing. We can't take credit for it. It's all him. To give you one verse, Colossians 1, 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's who God is. He's taken care of our greatest need. But what does that mean about now? You're like, okay, well, that's, I mean, I know I'm forgiven. I know that I have salvation. Well, let me just throw a few verses. These are just a smattering, all right? There are many in scripture. Let me give you a few and let's read through them together. And I want you to pay attention to the verb tenses in these. And so what I mean, are we talking about past, present, or future in some of these? Let's look at this. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. That's Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the metaphor. You get the metaphor, right? He's saying, hey, good times happen to both good people and bad people. Bad times happen to both good people and bad people. In other words, you're not exempt. Just because you're good, just because you're bad, you're not exempt, Jesus is saying. Peter, and after you have suffered a little while, suffering, it's right there. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will do that. Revelation, we have John writing on this one. He will wipe away, again, future tense, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God will do that. John 16, again, this is Jesus talking directly to you. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. So do you see that there is the promise that we as followers of Jesus sit within this promise that there will be a time when all of that stuff will be removed? And do we have some of that? Do we have a taste of that in this world? Can God bring healing and resurrection? Yes, he does it in Jairus's life. He does it in this woman's life. After 12 years and after she had already died. The suffering preceded the healing. And without the suffering, there isn't healing. There isn't anything to heal. It might be worth sharing that uh, 11 of the 12 disciples were murdered for their faith. Historically, that's what we understand. The Apostle John was the only one who lived to an age-old life. Jesus himself, of course, was killed on a Roman cross. But even in the prophecies, do you know what they called him? Isaiah 53.3. Isaiah said that he would be a man of sorrows. Read about Jesus at Gethsemane, suffering. He himself was not exempt. Matter of fact, the Hebrews author tells us that he endured the same trials, that he was tempted with every sin that you and I were tempted with so that he could sympathize with us. 
You can't look at God and say, God, you don't know what I'm going through. God can say, actually, I know it from the outside, and I know your pain from the inside. I've gone to the trouble of doing both. So where does that leave us with? <laughs> I, want, I want to learn three simple lessons from this woman tonight. Three very simple lessons from her about what it means to live in suffering. I think these are going to go pretty quick, but I want you to hear them. Because again, whether this is new information to you or you've been around the Christian world for a very long time, I think there are spaces for you to absorb and learn in what we're talking about tonight. And the first one is this. I am seen. I am seen. The God of the universe sees me. He sees me. He knows me. You guys, when we walk through times of pain or suffering, it feels like uh, that, that we're not seen, that we're absolutely invisible. That's what this woman wanted. As a matter of fact, she didn't come forward until verse 47 in there. It says that when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she couldn't hide from God. She couldn't. But pain and suffering make us want to hide. Sin makes us want to hide. Adam and Eve, when they sin in the garden, what's the first thing that they did? They hid. They were like, we got to hide from God, as if that's even possible. Okay, but that's what they did. I have a moment in my life um, when I was a, I went to school at ICC. Any ICC people? So proud. So proud. Uh, cougars? What's their mascot? Yeah, see? Okay, super proud. You can hear the alma mater. It's ringing proudly. Go ahead and sing the fight song. I don't think they have a fight song. Okay. Um, when I was at ICC years and years and years ago, my, uh, my grandma was really sick at that time. She was supposed to have uh, a significant heart surgery, okay? That heart surgery went wrong. Um, she lived for, I would say, about 10 days beyond that in the hospital, and then she passed away. And pretty unexpected uh, in terms of we didn't expect that result, certainly, okay? But in that moment, um, this is pre—wrap your heads around this, okay? This is pre-social media. This is pre-cell phone, all right? Uh, so this is pretexting, just to be clear, which meant that you actually had to pick up a landline and call somebody and talk to them if you wanted to communicate information, which is kind of a big deal. Um, and I, you guys, was really struggling. I spent about three solid days at the hospital praying, just being with my family. Most of my family doesn't know the Lord. And so I mean, like in spaces with them where everybody's really emotional and upset and doctors are giving you really good information. And then an hour later, giving you really bad information. And it's just bouncing back and forth. And I'm praying desperate prayers to God and being like, God, would you, would you intervene and would you heal her in this? Okay. And so that went through the weekend and then I skipped a day or two of classes. Um, and I didn't, you guys, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell any of my friends. And it's not because I didn't want other people to know. It just, it was so emotionally exhausting already to be in that, that I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to say it out loud. And so I remember walking through the halls and going to my classes the first day. So I left the hospital, went to, went to my classes and I'm just sitting, I'm like, nobody, even the people who know me, uh, I'm kind of trying to avoid them. And finally, I remember running into one of my friends in the hall and him saying, hey, I haven't seen you in a couple of days. And it's not like that was that big of a deal. We just hadn't run into each other in a couple of days. But he said those words, boom. I'm not a crier, you guys. But just the tear ducts emptied because all of that was like, I just, I just, even though I didn't want it, I wanted to be anonymous. Welcome to her world. Anonymous. That comes from Latin. It means no name. 
without name, nameless. She wanted to touch his hem and walk away. Jesus doesn't allow that. She's important to him. He wanted to look her in the eyes. Everything was changing for her at this point. He wanted to identify her. There's a moment in Scripture in the Old Testament, way back in Genesis. Um, It's part of the story of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. So God in Genesis 15, the beginning of Genesis 15, he comes to Abraham and Sarah. That's not the name they go by at that point, but I'm just going to use that name. He comes to to Abraham and Sarah and says, you're going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be, is like, I'm going to bless you with generations. But the problem is they're already old, like way past childbearing age old. Okay. And so they're like, okay. Um, And it doesn't happen for a really long time. So God gives them this promise. It doesn't happen. In Genesis 16, Sarah, the wife, instructs Abraham, the husband, to sleep with the servant. Her name's Hagar. He says, hey, why don't you sleep with her? We'll speed the process. If we're going to have a promised child, it's not going to be with me. So go sleep with her. So he does. So they have their little plan, right? And the the servant gets pregnant. But this is not God's plan. This is not what God wanted for them. And so then, of course, Sarah gets jealous and starts treating that servant really harshly. And she runs away, scared for her life, out into the desert. So take this situation that you've got where God gives them a promise and they mess it up, you guys. And this poor servant who's now pregnant is out in the desert. This isn't her fault. All she has tried to do is be faithful. And now she's outcast in the desert with a baby. And God shows up to her uniquely. She wasn't even a part of the original promise, but God shows up to her in Genesis 16 to Hagar, specifically Genesis 16, 13. And he gives her a promise too. And afterwards, Hagar says back to God, therefore, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. One of God's names in the Old Testament, el Rai. The God who sees me. So this poor girl, again, who's been cast out and she's in a mess right now because of the way that because of the way Abraham and Sarah messed this up. It's not her fault. And God comes to her and she's like, you see me. You see me. El Rai. You see me and know me. Mm. Scripture is clear that you cannot fall off God's radar. You can't. You are not invisible. He sees you. He sees you. You are on his radar all the time. And that leads to the second piece. He knows you. He knows you. And it might feel to this woman like God didn't really know what she needed because she's been sitting in this pain for 12 years. Have I mentioned that? 12 years of suffering. Does God really know what I need? Then why hasn't he healed me before? But I promise that he does. We have so much scripture that sits here. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Luke 12.6 and 7, not even the birds are forgotten before God. <laughs> Hear this, if you're, veg- if you're vegging out right now, here's a little scriptural fact for you. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. That's from Jesus. You find two hairs on your head, 
that fell out in a given day, God's like, yep, that's number 1067 and 1171. I know which ones they are. He is all-knowing, you guys. He's omniscient. Nothing escapes him. He knows you. He knows what you need. Take a look at this text. I don't know if I can read it from this angle. Yeah, Matthew 6. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He knows your needs. He knows you. He sees you. So that leads us to an obvious question that should come out of that for you. Well, then, Ben, why why do I pray? Why would I bother praying? God already knows this stuff. Why am I even putting that out there to him? Because it's not about an information exchange. This isn't a request where you're filling out in triplicate what's going on there and submitting it to him. This is a relationship where you speak stuff out loud and it increases your faith because you have to speak it out into existence with him. You guys, prayer is really more for us than for him. He knows you. He sees you. Prayer is our chance to see him, to know him, and to know that we are seen and known by him. You with me? God sees you in your pain and in your suffering. He knows you in your pain and in your suffering. And this last one, I feel like I preach all the time, but I cannot, cannot talk about pain and suffering without landing here. I am not alone. I am not alone. If there's one thing, I mean, I think of myself with my grandma passing away and feeling like I was so alone. Pain, suffering, sin do that to us. They make us feel isolated. They make us feel like we're the only one. That's what it did for her, literally. But listen to these words, you guys. Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, I fear no evil for you are with me. Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission. Jesus says, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You hear the withness that sits there? I'm with you. He even gives us the Holy Spirit. John 14, I'll give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. I'm not leaving you as orphans, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit will dwell with you and in you. That's John 14, 15 through 18. Why do we talk about community so much here as a ministry? If you haven't caught on yet, that's a value that we have. Why do we talk so much about community? Because oftentimes God speaks and leads to us through each other. He uses me to do that to you and you to do that to me. And I learn that I'm not left alone by the God of the universe because I learn that I'm not left alone by you. You get to be the hands of feet and feet of God and community to each other. You get to be this lived message together. I'm not alone. The God of the universe is with me. He's with me. 
And you guys, there's so many other promises. I, like, I, I just, there was so much scripture in this that I, I just felt like I could keep going forever. Other promises and suffering that God promises to use my suffering to help me and others. Romans 8, 28. God promises I won't be tempted beyond what I can bear. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He promises that the testing of my faith will develop perseverance and resilience. That's James 1, 3. Tells us that his grace is sufficient in moments when we endure suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. That last one, by the way, this is when the Apostle Paul is suffering and he begs God three times to remove that. And God says, no, not this time. I'm not removing it this time, but my grace is sufficient for you and my weakness for my power is made perfect in your weakness. We need a better theology of pain. And when we read Scripture, not only do we see all these promises that sit out there, we also find that we're in good company. We also see other people who live in hardship, who endure persecution, real persecution. We see a Jesus who was spit on. Have you been spit on today? I hope not. He understands what it means to be rejected. He understands what it means to be hurt. He understands what it means to suffer. And when you read about that Jesus, when you open the Bible and you read about him, again, I say it all the time, but if you are not, if you don't read this thing, if you've never read it, open up one of the gospels. I recommend John. Those are the ones that just talk about the life of Jesus and the life that he lived. Read it a chapter a day. 10 verses a day. I don't care. Read about the life of Jesus and what he did and what he went through. And you'll realize how much you can relate to him and how the God of the universe is trying to relate to you. Pay attention to the quiet miracle tonight. Yes, there's resurrection. Yes, there's healing. But that comes after a God who loved her through 12 years of suffering. And if you're in a space tonight where you're like, you know what, I've, I have my path and I struggle with where God has been and all of that, you guys, that is a valid question for you to be struggling through. You are not the first one to ask it. You will not be the last. And I'm not preaching the end of the journey tonight. I'm preaching the beginning because the beginning of it is to know that you are seen, to know that you are known, to know that you are not alone in this journey. And to be that lived memory for each other. That God would represent that through you to each other. And you'd be shocked what it means to take those truths in and how that changes who you are. One last closing thought for you tonight. For the last few weeks, I've been praying for this guy I don't know. Okay, he's a friend of a friend. And I just, I get texted updates every couple of days through this journey. Um, that's, that's a long, long journey. Most of these updates put out by his wife. I wish she could have preached this message tonight. I've been blown away by her faith because every day they have different reports from the doctors and sometimes it looks like her husband's going to die and some days it looks like he's going to live. And I just pray. Again, I know their names, never met them. Sure, I will someday. But I want you to hear one I got last night. Okay, this is, I'm just going to read you this half of it. This is a woman preaching out of her suffering as she's fighting in prayer for her husband's life. Quote, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, 
It's hard and ugly and gut-wrenching. And if my hope was anchored in this life, it would feel devastating. But my hope is anchored in heaven with Jesus rather than here. God has already done a miracle in saving us. He doesn't owe us extra time on this earth. Now, he may give it, and I'll be thankful for every moment with David. But I fully embrace the idea that our citizenship as believers is not here We watched our church's service online this afternoon as hundreds of people we dearly love gathered from the very front of the sanctuary and all the way down the aisles to sing In Christ Alone and pray for another close friend of ours who's nearing the end of her battle with cancer. And we both wept in sorrow and in joy and in triumph because we know how this ends. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, give me that kind of faith. Thank you for the faith of this gentle woman, this anonymous woman, who tried to be anonymous with you and touch your cloak. Thank you for your ability to turn and pay attention to her, to know that she is seen and known by the creator of the universe and healed. I pray that you bring that truth to the people in this room that need to hear it, Christ. I pray that you give us eyes to see the hurting people on our campus that need to know your grace and your love and your healing and your forgiveness. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.